the biggest thing for startups is talking to your customers and getting your product out as fast as possible. We don't ever think of ideas ourselves. We get all of our feedback from our customers through those meetings, through our support line, through our email line. And that's kind of the driving force of innovation at our company. You know, they know better than me. I've never worked in a coffee shop. So we try to make it as easy as possible to communicate with our customers because they're kind of the life force of our company. Hi, I'm Eden Fulgo, and you're listening to How It's Tested, a monthly series where we discuss great products, how they're tested, and other stories from the testing community, featuring interviews with tech leaders, founders, testing experts, and creators. How It's Tested is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Team Mobot. That's T-E-A-M-M-O-B-O-T. Today, I'm speaking with Avery Durant, the co-founder and co-CEO of Drippos, a New York City-based startup. Hey, Avery, thanks so much for joining me on the How It's Tested podcast. Hi, how are you doing? I'm excited to be here. We've been friends and talking as founders for you know a few months now, ever since one of our mutual investors introduced us. And uh, it's always nice to have a chance to connect more deeply with a fellow founder, hear about just like your company, hear about Drippos, and just like what your team is building. And would love to kind of you know share more about Drippos with the audience today. Yeah, sure. So I'm Avery. I started programming back. I think I was 11 when I started programming. So it's been a while. And I started with, I think what a lot of people start with, and that's game development. So I started with Minecraft development. I kind of taught myself through YouTube videos and stealing code online through GitHub. So, you know, what the best of us do. I'm not that proud of it. But, you know, I kind of learned my own, I'd say, abstract way of thinking about code. And so I didn't learn in a book. I didn't learn through, you know, really any tutorial besides a guide who was probably the same age as me, like 11 years old, just saying what he was typing out and not knowing what anything meant. So I kind of learned really basic commands and you know I didn't know what any of the syntax meant. I just know what it looked like. That's kind of how I learned coding. And then like two years later, I was still working in Minecraft. I started reading Java books. I think I took Code Academy. I was really interested in what it actually meant, not like, what's an array? I'm like, it holds stuff, but I don't know what an array is. So that's kind of how I got into the coding space. I kind of worked some full-time jobs. My freshman year of high school, I had to leave because I was getting bad grades. Then I kind of went into full learning mode. So that point in my educational career, when you get like very bad grades, apparently you can't get into good colleges. It's a weird scenario. but I couldn't get into any college that I'd want to go to for coding. So I found this coding like boot camp school named Make School, which isn't around anymore. But they were basically a two-year alternative trade school that you could go to. They said that you would be able to get a whole like CS career with applied, like using and making things instead of theoretical. So like you weren't learning how discrete mathematics work in the underlining systems of graphs and stuff. You were making those. So that really intrigued me. So I kind of switched from like, all right, let's have fun in school to during my free time, I coded and contracted and tried to learn as much as possible. I downloaded like 30 apps. I had like 10 books on like data design and different programming languages um, to try to get into the school, which I luckily did. 
But three months into it, I actually left to work full time because they're like, hey, let's get you a job. And I just happened to independently get myself a job like during the first like semester. So uh, that was fun. So I worked in kind of big tech for a while, worked at a company named Dell Tech, which made like HR products, like reporting and like ERMs, I think they call them. And then on the side, basically, I'd work like nine to five or however many hours I'd work. Then on the side, me and my co-founder, Jack, started Drippos. So, you know, I was just, I've always been dabbling in side projects and startups. The, the cool stories about building Drippos is that like, our first two products didn't go anywhere. We just worked for like two years trying to do dumb products. Then we kind of found this Drippos mold of like, hey, we were a coffee shop product, like a Starbucks ordering app. And then we're like, hey, maybe we should get a product that there isn't like 50 other competitors and we don't have any like advantage. So like we interviewed all of our customers, we're like, what do you want? They're like, hey, we want a solution that isn't five to 10 software is tied together. It's made for coffee and it actually does everything. So that's when we kind of started our heads down period of I would work my nine to five. Jack would be in the coffee shops, being a barista, like working with Drippos, like in the store. He'd get feedback. I'd get off my nine to five. I'd work until 5 a.m. We'd have a little sync. I'm like, all right, here's what I did. He's like, all right, that's cool. I'm bringing it to the shop. I'd sleep for like five hours. Then we'd do that again. And so we did that for a while until we got into Y Combinator in S20. Or actually, I left my full-time job March 1st, 2020. So Oh, man which isn't the most ideal time to leave your comfortable job for a restaurant business. But we got into Y Combinator for S20, and we kind of been building ever since. We kind of still have that really lean approach of just having, you know, a checklist. That's what we did. We just had a checklist that you would give me at the end of the day. I'd work on that. Then we would kind of reintroduce checklists. We still kind of have that product management style yeah, so that's where we are now. We're an all-in solution for restaurants. We kind of do everything for our customers, and we love it. Yeah, I think what's really awesome about your background, and it's it's quite similar to mine in a way too, because yeah, I went to Full Stack Academy, which is a twelve-week boot camp, and you know, learned how to build a basic web app, and that was how I built the original prototype for Mobot. Was using those skills that I had learned, but then like, how did I get the idea for Mobot? It was from actually like working at a real job. And it's not so much about going through traditional schooling, traditional education in order to get that experience. And so I think, yeah, what's really inspiring about your background is it really shows that if you have the, the skill set that you can learn on your own and you're actually solving a real problem for a real market, you know, the, the nice thing about being an entrepreneur, being a founder is that, you know, that it's basically open to anyone. You just kind of have to have the hustle. Yeah. I think that's what's really true about this day and age is that I think software and a lot of I guess more trade jobs, I guess in this field, you can kind of just learn a lot of it on your own. I think the hardest part is to kind of get your first like foot in the door. So I think that was I was lucky that I had a lot of like kind of relevant work experience that I could use to kind of get my first job. So that's what's really helpful. But I think you can learn anything online nowadays. It's just what do you do with that knowledge, I guess. Yeah. So would be great actually for maybe you to kind of give us an introduction to like, what is Drippos? And you mentioned like you and Jack were working and Drippos was a side hustle initially. And Jack was literally a barista. Was he a barista before you guys started Drippos? I'm just very curious about the whole story. It's a very funny story. So our first product we built together was in 2017, 2018. And that was like a subscription service to bars. It was like movie pass, but for bars. Like we kind of encouraged 
people to become alcoholics because it's like, hey, every day you get a free drink. Oh, no. So as you could assume that's not the best area to be in. It was hard to get customers. Like working with bars isn't the easiest. So we kind of pivoted to the kind of first version of Drip before we got a season desist for Drip, which was a like mobile ordering app. We wanted to bring like the Starbucks or the Dunkin' Donuts app to like local coffee shops. So we had that app for like a year. And then, like I said, we kind of realized the space was too big, or I guess the competition was too big. The space was too small. And we felt like we were just an add-on instead of like people didn't actually want us. They was just like, oh, like we need to do this to like be competitive. So we kind of sat down and we like to say we reviewed film. So we went to like 10 of our customers, not just coffee shops, but pizza places, like ice cream places, any type of restaurant you could think we kind of went to and interviewed. Jack pretended that he was a, a student at uh, Wisconsin doing like a, a project. So we just kind of recorded people, current customers, potential customers. And we just asked some questions like, you know, what are your pain points every day? Like, what software are you using? What would you do if you could do anything? What would your dream product be? And everybody kept saying like, hey, it's really hard to have five to 10 services to tie your company together. It's really clunky. It's very like expensive. It's very hard. You know, they want a product that's really made for them, not, you know, some of our competitors are made for sit down, they're made for retail, they're made for coffee, they're made for everything. So we had a genius idea of kind of replacing 10 different companies as two kids that were, I was probably 20 and Jack was like 23, 24. And we're like, hey, we're going to do 10 companies worth of work together. So that's where we kind of went into this kind of heads down mode of Jack would be a barista. He didn't actually work as a barista, but he would just like, like at that time, the solution would just go down half the day. And like, there were so many bugs because our first product was like a ticketing service. It was like very, not, it's like a subscription service, like very simple subscription service. Like we built on like Stripe and we built on like a software and a memberful. Like we had like a React Native app and we had like a very bare bones like website, which was just like raw HTML, like no themes or anything. And so we kind of built on top of that to actually have, all right, we need an order system. All right, we have an order system. Now we have a ticketing system. All right, ticketing system, we now have to have online ordering, then mobile ordering, then scheduling, then payroll, then ingredient management. So like one by one, like Jack and I would have these sprints of like, he would be in the shop, he would be sitting with the customer, he'd be getting feedback. And so we were able to kind of build this product right next to our customers, which we think had a big advantage of like, hey, we listened to our customers, like each customer we gained, we basically had like a whole new experience that we could build around. And each customer had different feature set they would want or different products they use. And we can get the feedback they had on these products to build into our product. So, you know, there was a long time of just like at the end of every day, like I said, we had a checklist that Jack would give me that, hey, this is feedback here, are the bugs. I'd spend the night getting all those done and go to sleep. And eventually when I left my full-time job, that just became... Instead of overnight, that was the whole day and the whole night. So same amount of sleep on both of our sides. Because Jack would actually be the designer at that point. So like when I was coding at night, he was designing the screens. And then he'd get a little sleep here. I'd get a little sleep there. But that's kind of what enabled us to build a product that like when we first tried to get investors in like 2020 or 2019, like we were laughed at because they're like, you're not going to compete with Toaster Square because these are massive companies that have hundreds if not thousands of engineers how are two kids from like i lived in my mom's basement and jack lived in a car he drove around in a car around the country launching people like i'm sure i can send a picture later on but he literally converted a, a sedan into like a bed and he would go to um 
I think Planet Fitnesses to shower and change. So it was really like gritty, like startup, like mom's basement in a broken down car that would break down every other mile. But it was fun. It was a fun experience and kind of got us to where we are. Um, eventually got a little more serious, got some funds after YC, got an office in Manhattan, a little more strict and a little more, a little more sleep we get nowadays than uh, we used to, you could say. And so, you know, in the early days, it was the both of you writing code and building the product. But how did that then transition to hiring additional engineers and sort of like, yeah, I'm curious about you mentioned like in the early days, there were all these bugs and it was down half the time. How do you get to that, to the stability that you have today? Yeah, a lot of it is, I guess, maturing. So like I'm the technical founder, Jack. He tried to code once or twice by try to he'd go into GitHub and change. I'm dyslexic, so he'd change all my spelling mistakes. Like when we started out, it was just my knowledge I'd gained from, you know, I'd always play in like full stack development, not just, you know, servers, but, you know, I used to love like designing good schemas and doing apps and websites. So we had like a good architectural backing just from what I learned, like through failed startups and projects as a kid. But, you know, the maturing really came into, hey, like, I need to actually figure out, does this scale or not? Like, I didn't have any, you know, mentors in like my past company. It's not like I was building these massive systems that had to be taking, you know, tens of not hundreds of thousands of orders a day. So it really took time to like when Jack and I raised our first amount of money after YC, we didn't hire an engineer until I think eight months later, because we literally didn't have time. Like hiring takes a lot of time, which you wouldn't think. You're just like, oh, someone want to come join us. But like when you're the only engineer, it takes, you know what's going on. You know what everything means. But bringing someone in and being like, oh, like they need to be able to understand my code and understand, you know, where to add things. Like we didn't even have a system. Like we at least just had a checklist. And so we did daily deployments. So like that was where a lot of the bugs came from. And we didn't have any good testing process. Like there was no testing process when we started out. It would just be every night I would push an update at 5 a.m. through code push. And we had like no pipelines. We had no software that was helping. I would just like compile the server code, drag it into Elastic Beanstalk. And then I would code push update. So like over the air update our React Native apps. And so a funny thing that Jack and I used to have is that I would go to sleep at five o'clock. I'd tell Jack what I pushed. And then at six o'clock, he would, we lived together. He'd knock on my door. He's like, Avery, it's all down. Like everything's down. So our early customers were kind of guinea pigs. I'm sorry. You don't want to say that, but a lot of them were. But you were able to work so much faster there. It's like more about like how much throughput can you have of code in the early stage. It's like you want to validate it. I forget who said it at YC, but they're like, you want to break things to know customers are actually using it. Um, and like breaking is good because that means like you're you're evolving, I guess. Which when we started getting more customers and bigger customers, like being down for like 10, 20 minutes randomly throughout the day wasn't like a good idea. So we just started to create actual systems. Like, all right, like we had a massive code base. We're like, there's no way, like I'm going to write unit tests for like this many lines of code. So we're like, all right, let's first have like, what are the user cases of like how they like the most critical systems and like how do people use it? And so we're like, all right. We also moved releases to once a week. We're like, once a week is better than every day. 
So let's try to once a week, we had like these really easy user stories that we would kind of test. And, you know, that kind of did a good amount of like, I guess, common sense testing of like, all right, this looks good. But you really didn't get all the use cases and all the different scenarios that customers would kind of go through. So we eventually just kept on, we call them um, happy paths, basically just like we'd create really detailed testing protocols, I guess you could say, for each feature, then every like sub feature and like what customers might use. And since we have a product that spans not just software, we have hardware, we have things like four apps, we have three websites, we have apps on those hardware, we have multiple servers. So for us, it was really hard to make really standardized and deep, like automated tests and unit tests. So we kind of went more for, hey, we have like, we're going to test this as a company. So currently, every Monday night, we have our release and we do release from 11 o'clock to 1am in which we have like 200 user stories, or we call them happy paths, like I said, and everybody in the company doesn't matter if you're in sales, if you're in success, if you're in operations, Jack and I, we all just test, we just take them, we do our deployments. Uh, we have like a testing environment that we'll go through that would basically is the cloned production environment we will do kind of testing on there. Once that's good product will deploy to production. So we kind of evolved from the everyday Avery just pushing whatever code he wants to more like, all right, you have PRs, we have a system named Buddy that kind of does, you know, CI, CD, and it's a lot more mature, but we still kind of try to keep it lean and like fast, I guess. That's awesome. You mentioned that, okay, you have four apps, you know, two websites, hardware. So how does sort of like the management and versioning of the hardware work? Like, are you testing every new deploy? Are you guys still releasing daily? Are you doing like over-the-air updates to the actual hardware and you make sure when you run the protocol, it has to be done on the actual hardware that is sent to customers? Like, how does that process and kind of controlling work? Yeah, so I guess the systems we use for hardware is we're on Stripe and we use Stripe readers and we have most of our hardware are card readers. We have like some other like Bluetooth random stuff like printers and scanners and stuff. But our main like hardware we care about that like actually changes a lot is our card readers. And so whenever we do testing, we do a regression test and we do our like current server test. So we'll deploy our server first. Everybody will test on the old version of old version of our app on the reader. And then we'll do a deployment. And so when I say deployment, it's usually um, like a code push deployment, so an over-the-air deployment of like our JavaScript bundles. And so usually that's what needs to happen um, because we don't really change a lot of native stuff. So if you need to actually do a, a native app update, th that would be kind of a different testing protocol of like, all right, like goes into beta mode, then beta mode's done throughout the week instead of during our weekly block. But it is definitely hard to kind of have a good system set up and like we're still always evolving our system and so you know code push has definitely helped us be able to allow kind of some flexibility on what we're pushing and how we're pushing it so i think we're really grateful for that but you know our least favorite thing i guess is the uh, the native app updates like having to go through ios having to go through like Stripe's deployment process and because we don't really have a standardized process. I guess if you have automated tests that would kind of, a testing suite, that would be a lot easier because like you don't have to manually do it with humans. But I think for our product and for our team size, 
a lot of that work has to be done a little manually. So I guess it's just like, we just try to do a regression with the old version and then the new version, we have some type of uh, updating the app solution. If that's the code push or if that's a native update, we kind of have to, I guess, work in those differently. Yeah. I guess given that there are some like third-party dependencies that you guys have, whether it is Stripe, whether it's literally the Stripe SDK, or it's maybe it's the firmware on the Stripe Bluetooth readers, or your own native app or the code push um, API or anything like that, where do you kind of see like when bugs do happen? Are they happening on sort of like your own features or do they happen more when you're trying to interface with these external systems? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think bugs come a lot of the time from features that we're pushing a lot less on like core features that we've been building on for like five years now, like our order system, but more from the features that were like new features coming in. And, you know, the the fun new thing that we're working with is like regression bugs, like someone will add a new feature and it will break like a feature somewhere else. And it's just like, well, how can like an order system change break scheduling? It's just like interesting things that you'd really not think about with, I guess, different sizes of products. But it is really hard to kind of make a product that's reliable because we have a lot of third party like vendors under the hood that do like payroll, that do accounting, that do banking, that do text messages, all these things, Stripe. So trying to make a software that is reliable in the sense of if one of our vendors are down, that we can kind of mitigate that, having offline modes, having systems that kind of can still act and log certain things. Because if your payment processor is down, Stripe's been down a few times this year, like we have to somehow, you know, still get those payments because that's our job to our customers. Like they shouldn't know that Stripe's in the background. So it's kind of like an ebb and flow of like, there has been bugs that we've had to report to Stripe. There are a lot of bugs with kind of integrations changing from different, so- like we've had integration problems that they update stuff on their side, but they didn't tell us. And so we have to like reactively, now we're, I guess, working with a lot more mature of companies that so that hasn't happened as much, but it's happened to the point that you're just like, wow, like it's hard to prevent. But like the bugs on our side are a lot easier, I guess, to deal with. And I'd say the majority are just coming from like weird new integrations that or features that we're building that we need to make sure stay stable. But we, we have different environments of like, all right, we have some customers we push features to sooner. We have like a beta environment. So uh, we make sure that the features that are a little less stable don't go out to all the customers. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like you guys are building out a pretty robust process to kind of make sure that you cover some of these integrations when you do your weekly regression sweep every week. And everyone on the team is kind of like taking ownership of that. And hopefully, I guess the goal is that if you are testing all these and covering all these integrations, you should be able to catch any sort of like breaking API changes before they actually roll out to production. Yeah. And we do have good tests like PR processes that should be like the first line of, I guess, protection. So kind of our weekly release time at 11 p.m. on Mondays are kind of more just like the let's make sure everything is working as it's intended. Like developers can only spend X amount of time testing every single feature for one of their changes. And so the full testing with the whole company is really helpful to make sure that we get those weird changes that might have broken something another part of the product, as well as making sure that the features that are kind of out of our control, like if Stripe 
SDK or check payroll, like all those are working like they need to. Yeah. I guess I'm curious if you could go back and do this again and build the app from scratch, you, you know, telling yourself going back in time a few years ago, would you still use CodePush, for example? Because I've heard pros and cons. Like, I'm curious, would you build natively? Uh, would you use continue to use React Native? Curious what you think. Yeah, I've heard a lot of discussion on this from a lot of different sides. What I personally believe is that the biggest thing for startups is talking to your customers and getting your product out as fast as possible. And so, yes, are there advantages to building natively or building with different, more stable products? Yes, but I don't think they outweigh getting your product built faster. I think a full JavaScript stack is the fastest stack you can use to deploy, to just build in, to write in. It's easier. Like We have a lot of behind-the-scenes packages that we kind of use across every one of our products. So it's really good code sharing. React Native, like while code push does go down a lot, there are some weird bugs. There's no better alternative of like, oh, would we want to hotfix something immediately or do we want to wait for Apple's random, for some reason, rejects your app that you've deployed the same amount of times because they have a new rule. So I think React Native... React, I think those are by far the best stacks to build your product in. I don't think we're going to be moving off that for anytime soon. In Node and JavaScript, I think you just can't go wrong with just a full JavaScript stack. Like The most important thing is just building and getting things out as fast as possible and just keep iterating on your product. Maybe if you're Facebook or you're Google and you have to write kind of lower languages, native apps at that scale. But, you know, a lot of big companies do still write in React Native, do use Code Push, do use Node. So I think it's a lot less scary than when I started. Like it was a lot more scary. A lot of these solutions weren't as stable, but I think they've gotten a lot more stable, a lot more reliable. And still, they allow us to deploy fastest, to communicate with our customers fastest, to have the best, the best solution we can and just make sure that we're constantly growing. Yeah, I think what I find really interesting is you guys move very quickly. You're a very scrappy startup, but there's also this like physical component, right? Where you have to physically ship hardware to the stores or, you know, Jack is working as a barista. How do you make sure that you guys are getting like timely customer feedback in the moment? Like when something goes down or if someone is using your point of sale system and they have an idea for how they want to improve it, do they just pick up the phone and call you? Like it's a little different than a normal SaaS platform, right? Yeah. I think we're lucky. We don't have the the volume of customers that like a Facebook or Instagram or any of these big kind of social media tech companies have. Like if we had 10,000 customers, we're a billion dollar company. Like so we're able to kind of work more closely with our partners. So we have a 24-7 support line. We have like every other week meetings with our biggest customers. We have all these kind of what's important for us, like we said before, like Jack used to live in these shops. We would have instant feedback to these customers. So we kind of built our whole, we kind of call it the success engine of our team, the success team, to make sure that we kind of can have that feedback and we can have that transparency. We can have any communication we need with these customers. And that's something that our customers really love. They love to be able to call us up at any time of the night, text us any time of the night, and someone's going to pick up the phone. And those people are actual Drippo staff. They're not off-site somewhere in a call center. They're Drippo staff. They know what your problem can be, and they're going to fix that problem at that same moment. 
If you have feedback, that feedback goes directly into our, like I said before, we still have a big list, we call it the hit list of things that we need to work on. There's a little more method to the madness than in the past. But, you know, we don't ever think of ideas ourselves. We get all of our feedback from our customers through those meetings, through our support line, through our email line. And that's kind of the driving force of innovation at our company. You know, they know better than me. I've never worked in a coffee shop. While Jack has, he's not been like a tenured employee at a coffee shop. So we we try to make it as easy as possible to communicate with our customers because they're kind of the life force of our company. Have you seen your product being used in different ways? Because I know there's like pizza shops, coffee shops, yeah. fast casual restaurants, like the fancier ones. I don't know what you call those. Like, yeah. are there differences in the way that those different types of restaurants are using your platform? And how do you inform your product roadmap or regression testing protocol to kind of account for those differences, if there are any? Yeah. Like right now, Dripless is really focused on coffee. But when Jack and I started, our company name is actually Frostbite Technologies. When we started Frostbite, we really focused on making a product that could be modularized out and could be used in different verticals. Because eventually, we don't want to just be coffee. We want to go to sit down. We want to go to XYZ. But for us, what's really important is having this specific product for our vertical. So like once we go fully to have a pizza product, it's not going to be called Drippos. It's going to be called Pizza Oaks or something like that. It's like we built all of our code under the hood in our module to basically be turn on, turn off. You know, once we have another product, it's the same app, same everything. We just turn a few dials and levers, and that's how we deploy. So when we test, we we're basically testing those modules. And when we're enabling customers, we're enabling those modules. And so if we have a different app that has a different look and a different brand, it's still the same code and the same underlying features. It's just we're turning some things on, some things off. So being able to build with that intention from day one has really helped, you know, not need to add new complex systems because we haven't really needed to change how we test or talk to customers. It is hard because we have a smaller team. We have five engineers right now. And so like trying to prioritize what's more important, like if we have a pizza client, like are they more important than like a core customer in coffee? And so a lot of it's just around, all right, what's going to grow our product? What's going to make the product better? What's really important? If there's like a sev one thing that needs to be done because a customer can't launch because of it, yeah, we're going to have to focus on that. But we have a thing at Dripos that we try to do one or two features for every onboarding customer, which in the past, it was like very big things because we didn't have this big product we have now. But now it's like, all right, we can do that now. It kind of creates that relationship that we want because our customers love us because we are helpful to them and we talk to them. We've had like one or two outages in the last year. And every time like we have a system that we contact them, like we make sure they're okay. Like it's just really about being close to our customers. And I think knowing what their priorities are and having a level of communication that they know our priorities as well. Like, hey, like this isn't that big for us currently. Like we have in our roadmap, but we hear you, but we're going to let you know what's done. And so like every release we have, we contact our customers and we say, here's what your things that we have from you. Like here's what we're working on. Here's what's been released. So communication is key. I think in every aspect of any company, you know, internally, externally. So that's what we try to do. That's awesome. 
I guess like looking at the next six to 12 months, what is the future of uh, Drabos? You know, what are the features that you're excited about next or verticals you're planning on launching? And even beyond the next six to 12 months, like what, what is your technical vision for the company? Yeah, I think the grand goal is to have that vertical specific product that we can kind of turn on and off features. So we have it kind of built that way, but scaling that in like figuring out how that's done. Because like engineering wise, that's easier than marketing that, building up teams to sell that product. How do you support those products? Those are kind of like the grand visions, I think more like two to three years down the line. Right now, we're just really focused on like finishing our grand vision of what is Drippos and like what would any feature that people would need for Drippos, which is also going to be needed for a pizza product or a sit down product or an e-commerce product. So like right now, we're really working on inventory management, having like an inventory marketplace, having banking, having accounting, all like massive features like building in a banking integration is a lot of work. But these are things that customers want because they want to be able to manage their bank accounts. They want to be able to have purchase orders that can come from their bank account. They can they have all the sales data, employee data and payroll data that they do with Drippos. They want to be able to do accounting with us because we have all the data. And then using that, we want to be able to basically give them health of their company, what they can do to make more money, you know, how sales doing, predict sales costs, predict labor costs. All these things are very important to us. And like being able to accumulate all this data by being this all one solution has been super helpful. And we're just excited to kind of finish the grand vision and then be able to kind of start looking at where we can bring this besides coffee. Yeah. I'm really excited to continue to keep tabs on just the startup and what you guys are building. Uh, I hear great things about you guys all the time. I guess one more question for you is now that you've gone through sort of these early stages of building a company and, you know, you've made some recommendations about the right tech stack earlier and just kind of focusing on prioritizing customers, um, you know, being as close to them as possible. Any other words of wisdom either about like testing, release management, um, mobile development that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I think the core tenets of building a company is just being able to move fast, being able to work really close with your customers and being able to iterate fast. And I think that's something that people aren't as good at. And, you know, when you start a company, it's going to look very different. And when you start your first product, it's going to look very different than where your product is a month from then, two months, a year like 10 years, it's going to look very differently. And so I think a lot of people start their testing process very like, all right, you need unit tests, you need X, Y, Z. But starting out with all those things, unless you're a company that really needs those, like you can have other ways to test that won't double your code cost. And once you're at a point that it's like, hey, like our vision isn't to build right now. Like there's different stages of your company. We need to build as fast as possible and bugs can be acceptable. But then you have to evolve not just your code base, but also your testing practices. We used to not have testing processes. You had to add those in. But it's all about like your early stages, code turnaround, and you know, idea turnaround as well. Like we pivoted so many times that like you need to be able to a lot of people don't like pivoting, like just shooting their firstborn child. But like sometimes like it's a kind of morbid way to say that, but like you have to kill some of the things that you you really spent a lot of time with. And so it takes a lot of growth and iterative processes, which is like at the core of what Drippos is. Like we make sure that, you know, we have retros every week on every team to make sure that we're not complacent and that all of our systems are the most efficient for where we are. 
And so that came in like hand in hand with, all right, let's make sure that our testing is as robust as it can be at this stage. Because like I said, it's all about resource allocation. Like if you're early on, you don't really have time to, you know, write all these tests and you don't have all this time to make sure that every feature is fully 100%ed. You know, push a half-made feature, like you can look at DoorDash. They didn't even have a first product. They just had a website that said, hey, like call us up and we'll get your order. And I, I forgot who it was, but I think one of the founders was called in the middle of the day and they're like, hey, this is what I ordered. And they like went out of their class at Stanford and drove to the restaurant and dropped it off. And like, that's how you validate. It's like, you have to validate, you have to build fast. And that was what's made us the company that we are because we were, we kind of took that to heart and built that way. And that's core to us. So iterate, make sure that you're not complacent and, you know, have fun. Like I love coding. So I think this would be a lot different of a company if I didn't enjoy what I was doing and did it for my free time in junior high and high school. So I'm having a lot of fun and I think that's what matters. Yeah, I think a lot of what you said, I I really resonate with. And I I spend a lot of time thinking about this because, yeah, you guys have an impressive platform. But the reason you got to this point was because you weren't writing perfect detox tests with your five engineers that you guys were out shipping and revising features. And what is the point of writing a detox test for your React Native app if you're just going to change the feature again tomorrow or you're turning that module on or off tomorrow? And so, yeah, I totally get it. And I think one of the things I'm trying to do on, on our side of Mobot is how do we build tools that make it so that teams can ship faster without, you know, I think there is a time and place, like you said, for when it makes sense to have that kind of infrastructure. But I think the the story that you're sharing here of just like the early founding days, I feel like there needs to be more awareness around like what it actually truly takes to start a company. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, I think that that you, you hit the nail on the head of just, you know, sometimes people are, people see the best practices and they're like, I need to do all of that. But it's like, you need to make sure your company is alive in six months. And so that's making sure you can get customers and you're building for them. Yeah. And so, you know, I see on Reddit all the time, they're like, you're not doing 30,000 test unit integration, like manual, like, you don't have time for that at the beginning. It's just do what you need to do for your stage of your company. Like now we have a lot more tech. Let's just say that. We can't do that anymore. When do you think you guys will begin to invest in like, you know, an, an actual full-time testing engineer or DevOps or, um, you know, someone? Because it sounds like your five engineers on the team right now, are, they're all writing features, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. We've been kind of working on changing our whole testing fleet. and. We think at the core of our company is making sure everybody has context on the entire product, not just the product team, but sales, operations, and success. So we don't actually have plans of when we're going to bring in full-time XYZ. We have plans of how are we going to make it that we don't test at 11 o'clock on a Monday, but try to, all right, you know, do it over the weekend and have different environments and like easier, like less work for everybody. So we just try to do what's best for us and what will be, you know, give the context to our employees and make sure that, you know, we're not allocating resources to teams that, like at our stage, like every engineer is more valuable than, you know, having to bring someone in to test because that's like however many dev hours that could be, you know, building new things to get more customers. So that's a big question for us. But like we like to, we have a value, it's build for now. 
And so right now we want to build what's going to make it easier to do these processes we have now. And there's no end in sight for when we're going to have to uh, hire our first QA or QE. But it's coming. I'm not saying it's never coming. It's going to come. The day will come. But like I said, we're just building for now. Yeah. I'm excited for what's to come. And I'll definitely be checking in with you because I, I want to know how, how things turn out. Thank you so much, Avery, for joining me on the podcast. I really loved this episode. I think you shared a lot about just like the founder journey, but also just like your tech stack, recommendations for other technical founders. I hope our audience really gets a lot of great insights from this episode. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Team Mobot. That's T-E-A-M-M-O-B-O-T. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com.